Welcome to Riverdale. Welcome to Riverdale. Oh my god, okay, okay, okay. So, chapter 23, The Blackboard Jungle. Um, I saw it, I enjoyed it. Coming back from the mid-season hiatus finale or whatever, it was cool. But I was not in love with it. Um, I don't know, I, I just wasn't really feeling it this episode. Uh, but Riverdale, I'm still in it. I'm still in it to win it. But it just, oh my God, it just wasn't doing it for me. Now, a few things. Um, tensions mount when the sudden shutdown of Southside High forces Jughead and his fellow serpents to transfer to Riverdale High. <sighs> okay, I did like what they were going for. I just don't think the execution was all that great. Um, one of my biggest issues was when it pertains to the serpents and Jughead and that whole little transitioning to Riverdale High thing was really annoying because again, I feel as if they're trying to have this storyline that would involve race, but there are white people and then it's like a class situation, but still trying to come off as a racial thing and it's not because being in a gang and being a serpent is not a race in and of itself um listen to my girls over there at river dames pod they had a really good interesting episode about the blackboard jungle um yeah i just oh my god it's it's i just wasn't really here for it um there was more weatherby which because he's black was good, but he was not good in this episode. Just spent a lot of time yelling and screaming at the students for no goddamn reason. Like, there was a moment, and I'm not even doing this chronologically. I'm just going to pull out some shit that is weird to me. Uh, beginning with the whole transfer. Now, taking a couple steps back, Veronica now knows the family business. And we're led to believe that... She is fine with it as long as it's not anything illegal. Her mother is assuring her that it isn't anything illegal. It's just business. But I'm pretty sure the show doesn't even know what the thing is because they did not let us know. They just told Veronica and then cut the commercial break like an episode or two ago. Now, um, apparently Veronica was supposed to be like on the welcoming committee to welcome all the serpents into um Riverdale, because taking a few more steps back, the Lodges have signed a deal with the Mayor McCoy so that she could shut down uh, Southside High and they could buy that land and go on and do whatever the fuck else they're doing, apparently. Which is like, are they just trying to buy all the land and then like just own Riverdale? Are they trying to update Riverdale? Are they trying to make it like the next New York? I don't understand what's going on. Um, I know that property is key and that's wealth there, but it's just so weird what they're doing. Um, so we get Veronica on the welcoming committee, her and Archie and it's like, Oh, you know, Hey, welcome serpents or whatever. And one thing that really grinds my gears and pisses me off is that for all the representation that you have in this show, you decide, first of all, Tony is just the token black or the token person of color, um, in the Tony Topaz, 
And then you just stick in black faces here. They're like, there has been no one black in the serpents this entire time. And even if you can go back over all of season one and for the first half of season two and find me a black person, it'll be one face here or there. That's all you'll get. So it's funny to me that we show up at Riverdale High. And now all of a sudden there's all these black people in the serpents. Additionally, there is a kid, a, a little lighter skinned black guy with dreads who I swear I saw him like walk through the school at the beginning of the episode, just in regular clothes, making him a Riverdale student. Then all of a sudden, when there was like this big huddle of serpents, he had on a serpent jacket and it was just like, you're not about to, I mean, what? No, you're not about to do this. You're not about to just add in these brown faces to try to flesh out your fake race of a gang. No, I'm, I'm not here for it. Um, So we get the serpents showing up at school to Veronica, who's on a welcoming committee, which is just like, eh, is this how this goes? Like, when the school shuts down, I feel like it's odd. It's very odd. Me not having a background in education. I'm not a teacher. I don't. You know, all I have is I went to school. But I find it very hard to believe that you're going to shut down a school on Monday and then just send these kids to another school on Tuesday, and the parents know nothing about it. These are still minors. And I feel like we're forgetting that because these grown-ass people are playing the roles of these teenagers. But it's it's, it's just weird the whole way this said. Because even if, let's say, fuck it, you don't tell the parents, these kids still have to get to this other school. So are they catching buses, school buses? Um, do some of them, apparently some of them ride motorcycles. Like, what? what is the... This is such a weird thing. So, um... What I loved, it's oh my god, which I didn't think I well, I didn't know I loved it, but I love it is watching they do these things. Cheryl has such an impact on this show. Um, her first response was, I'm not gonna have the you know, my home is the Freudian disaster, and I refuse to have my school life be the same. Just some random ass dramatic outburst. Uh, much like Reggie, Reggie was like, nah, fuck this shit, this for the birds. So, once the serpents are welcomed in, I loved, 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 loved. Watching Reggie and Cheryl walk their asses down from the second floor of the school all the way down to the welcoming committee. Like, just, it was so much like a 90s teen movie. Um, also, I guess in case you forgot or it isn't um, emphasized enough, Reggie is a football player. Cheryl is a cheerleader. You have that um, quarterback, head cheerleader, like, imagery going on it was just such an amazing like like that i i thoroughly enjoyed that i'm sure there's a gif out there somewhere and i will be posting it to my uh to my twitter carefree blurred <laughs> so cheryl again with the with the one-liner snapping back and forth and she was saying something about i'm not gonna have you come here and lowering our test scores with your south side trash or whatever so tony takes it upon herself to walk around halfway around the table i'll say that shit in my face and it's just like um, the River Dames girls, they gave up, gave up. They said something that was interesting is that, um, I believe, I believe Tony is, well, we know that she's bisexual on the show, but I think she is bisexual in the comics as well. That being neither here nor there. Um, they also mentioned that Cheryl was possibly coded as queer, which it does make sense. Like her obsession with Josie. And I'm like, is that a Nightingale thing where you saved my life? So I'm obsessed with you. Or is it that she's really in love with her? All that, all that aside, <laughs> what they brought up is that there may be something between Cheryl and Tony. And at first I was like, oh, no, that's that's stupid. I don't like that. But then I thought about it. And I'm like, this show doesn't act like they know what to do with Cheryl. 
Tony is an amazing character. She doesn't get enough shine. I feel like she's lost in the background of this serpent shit. Or she's only realized as the token character. Like, she seems like fully kind of fleshed out as a character. But it it can't go without being highlighted that she's the only woman. And she, or the you know, only uh, woman character, and then she's the only character of color in this whole game. There's something going on there, and I feel like her backstory isn't fleshed out enough. But if her and Cheryl were to eventually fall into some type of romantic situation, I think that that would be great because there's two like opposite ends of the spectrum, and I think they make more sense than Jughead and Betty. Like I, so I'm we gonna put a pin in that and see how this the rest of this. Um, this season rolls out and see if anything happens. But the fact that Tony had to get up and get buck with her, try to charge her ass up tomorrow. How you come around here and say this to my friend? I was like, eh, this, yeah, another thing that seems forced. Um, and then Weatherby yelling at everyone, like, I get it, you're a principal and these kids are acting up. But he, every time we've seen him ever since the beginning of this show, he has been angry. Bruh, where's your family? Where's your wife and kids? Where's your domestic partner? Where's your whatever? What do you do to relax? Because he's always on edge. Uh, But then there was a point in which everyone was meeting each other. And then this guy, Fangs, which again, the River Dames girl spoke out, thinking that they called him Fags, (laughs) which I hollered because that would have been fucked up if they called this quoted as gay character Fags. But no, he introduced himself and he was like, yeah, uh, my name is Fangs, or and Kevin was like, oh, okay, and he was like, yeah, you're Kevin, huh, and Kevin was like, oh, how do you know my name, he's like, yeah, I know Joaquin, we used to hang out, so a couple things here, one, Fangs is clearly gay, or at the very least, bisexual, pansexual, he has attraction to men, um, his comment about, I used to hang out with Joaquin, and he, he brought you up a lot, is giving me so many different mixed signals, Either we were just good friends and he talked about you, which would ideally be the best case scenario. But I really feel like Joaquin was fucking this boy Fangs while he was with Kevin or probably before Kevin and then dumped him for Kevin. And then or something like something is messy and murky there. But the thing is, I don't have enough faith in this show to explore that even more. Like, I don't have enough faith that Fangs and Kevin will have their own storyline, which does not have to result in them having sex, but have some type of relationship, friendship that they can bounce off one another and then bring back Joaquin to kind of stir shit up. I just don't have enough faith in this show. It would be great because then we could see Kevin doing more than running in the woods trying to have sex with men and being the token gay friend. Give him somebody else to actually have an arc with. But, um, so Weatherby, now this, this was so odd the way they put this scene together because everyone was in the little college communal space that they have in this school where no one goes to school, uh, goes to class. And he walks in, he's just, you, all of you out here in the hallway now. And I'm just thinking like, there's so many kids in this room. True enough as a viewer, I understand who you're talking about, but you need to be specific. Cause I feel like with the way he was talking, everybody in that space, even the extras should have walked their ass outside you should not you just he just walks around mad all the goddamn time. So homeboy uh Mr. Weatherby comes out and sees Reggie with his arms folded and they look at the crest, the school crest on the floor, and there's a big snake airbrushed or spray painted or whatever. He's like, Oh yeah, who's responsible for this? And Veronica and again, the the main four, I think they're all villains, they're fucking with my my nerves. But Veronica, as any sane person would do, 
in not so many words because I don't remember verbatim, but she says, clearly you see this is some bullshit. Clearly Reggie did this without actually saying that. And he's like, yeah, that be it as it may, I nobody should wear serpent clothes and if you have tattoos, cover them up. And it's, I was thinking like, wait, what? So you're going to acknowledge that Reggie probably did this shit on his own and then taking another step back, where the fuck are the video cameras in this goddamn school? How in the hell, the entire hell, did you not see somebody spray painting this damn snake on the on the crest? Also, isn't this the same day? They just showed up. Nobody, and then again, even further, everybody seems to have a goddamn key to this school. So somebody, it's just, <sighs> Weatherby, <coughs> excuse me, is not a good principal. And he needs to take a step down and let somebody else take over. Because this motherfucker is, I don't even get his motivation. He's just always suspicious and angry with his students. And I, I just, I don't get it. Um, shit. Uh, oh, so uh, Cheryl. Cheryl blackmails Archie and is like, yeah, um, you better get on the winning team because, of course, him and Veronica are welcoming the serpents. She's like, because if you don't get Veronica on our side, I'm going to give her those pictures of you kissing Betty. And he's like, oh, shit, bro, whatever. So they get to talking and whatever. And so it comes out that Nick St. James or St. Oliver, whatever the fuck his name is, tried to rape Cheryl. And in the midst of talking, I really like what they're doing with her. I, I like that they're keeping not necessarily keeping the trauma alive, but keeping this part of her story. But I feel like they're handling it in a pretty decent way. Um, because she was talking to, she being Cheryl was talking to Archie. She was like, well, you know, I would imagine that you would want to kill him after what he did to Veronica. He's like, wait, what, what did he do to Veronica? And she's like, yeah, about him trying to, you know, push up on Veronica in without so many words said that he tried to rape her. And Cheryl, had this moment where she was like, oh, you know, my apologies. I did not, this is, that's not my business to tell. I thought you knew that's Veronica. And that felt like a very genuine moment. And that's another reason why I like Cheryl so much. Although she broke up the pussycats, the, the black girls, I'm, I would never forgive her for that. But she has, like, Cheryl is one of the better actresses, actors in this show. And I feel like she has really stayed consistent with what they've given her throughout the show. And she's she's played her part. Um, let's see, taking a couple steps back. What happened? Oh, so okay. Apparently, there's an FBI agent who's blackmailing, kind of working, making Archie work with him to get dirt on Hiram Lodge, and that if you don't help us out, that money that they pay for your dad's um, hospital bills can be seen as them working together. You all can go to. Jail. I'm just thinking, like, oh my god. Again, the River Dames girls brought up the idea that this man might be a figment of Archie's imagination. And I initially thought that, well, no, not initially. I saw it, and then by his second scene, I was like, okay, this might not be real because, <clears throat> excuse me, why isn't, why isn't anyone else seeing this guy? Like, it seems as if Archie has had a nervous breakdown, and he's trying to cope with his feelings, and they've manifested as this damn FBI agent. Like, I can, I can see that being the case. But then again, you know, it might not. He says, um, Oh, you know, I can keep your dad safe. And then later on, Archie's like, oh, well, can you keep Veronica safe and whatever else? Um, after Archie and Cheryl have their little talk and then Nick St. James shit comes out, he goes to visit Nick St. James and beat his ass. And again, not excusing Nick's behavior. Nick is in his dorm room at his private school with two casts on his legs because, of course, he was in that accident that more than likely Hiram staged or put a hit out on him. 
And Archie is just whooping his ass. And I'm thinking like, ooh, again, not excusing Nick's behavior. But, sir, what are you doing? Like, it was very, I feel like it, on the one hand it was warranted. But then on the other hand it was like, you you have shown consistently that you are out of control. If this had been, a, if they had presented Archie as a sane, just kind of goofy guy. And then let things get dark and then let him do that shit fine I would be for him but after all the shit he's done just this season alone Archie is unstable and so him attacking Nick and beating him damn near to death in his it's just, when one when he doesn't pose a threat at all and then two no matter what your issues are with him you're st- like it I don't know the whole situation was weird Archie's odd um Wrapping up Archie's storyline, he met with the FBI agent in his garage. And that's the thing I think where it fucked me up. I was like, no, something is off here. Because even if I'm enlisting you to help me uncover some dirt or whatever, and I don't want to, um, I would try to keep a low profile. He's in a whole ass suit looking like the men in black or secret service on, um, uh, house of cards. And you're in this, Young boy, because Archie is still about 16, 15, 16, in his garage. And you're discussing how he beat up Nick and how he needs to... Like, it's just the whole way the situation, the scene was presented felt very odd. Um, And that's what makes me think, okay, yeah, maybe this is the figment of his imagination. Because if it's not, this is... This is not good the way that they're presenting this FBI agent if he's a real person because it's it's all it just it doesn't look right and um I I don't think I just don't have a lot of faith in Riverdale in that regard like to stay consistent and to do things that make sense but Archie said to the guy he was like well if you've been following me for so long then you know um that I think the Black Hood we think we got the wrong guy which I actually had that thought as well I was like okay. Are they either wrapping up this storyline and being done or possibly he'll come back at the end of this season and we'll be like, oh, he's not gone yet. But I was like, okay, I'm going to just go with whatever the show presents to me. But since Archie did bring that up, it's kind of opening those floodgates for me again because uh, moving on to the next thing that we'll discuss is Betty and her family situation. I still think if the Black Hood is real, that he's Betty's brother. But I'll caveat that by saying, wait till I'm done discussing Betty's storyline. Now, Betty um, comes up the steps to her house. She's the only one at home, hears some noises, like pulls out pepper spray or something, and finds Polly in her room. And I don't know if it's Polly's room. I believe it is Polly's room. And Polly's, like, packing the bag. She's like, oh, Polly, hey, you're back. Oh, my God, where are the baby? She's like, "Um, yeah, the, uh, the people at the farm said blah, blah, whatever. She's like, oh. And Betty has these moments as well where I feel like, okay, she's in her right mind. She's like, you're in a fucking cult, Polly. Which, side note, Polly is a wet blanket she's boring as shit and it makes me mad it grinds my goddamn gears because polly could be such a um a great and interesting character again all the shit that she's been through if a stronger actress had that part or if hell riverdale knew what the fuck to do with her then we could get something interesting but we get these cameo spots here and there where she's dressed like an amish woman and she's like plain as shit and she because honestly, and not a this isn't a stab at the actress herself, but I don't see where her and Jason would have ever been together. I don't even see where if they had been aware of their family history, where they would have interacted as cousins very well. It's just weird. 
But she's like, um, yeah, the babies are healthy. Their name is Dagwood and Merchandise or whatever the fuck that name is. And I'm just like, Ugh, this is this is weird. Um, and so I don't know if this is the show's way of writing her out in a way that feels to the audience like it makes more sense if we don't see her as much. Because I'll tell you this, Polly is still a goddamn child. She's still a kid. So for her parents to not put any effort or energy into going to find her, that's that's beyond me. And you can say what you want. Oh, there's some white people mess. Oh, that you know, black people never do that. I, taking race out of it, I think this is just a stupid way in which they've written these families. Because I, again, I'm not white. I don't have that lived in experience. But I, people are people. People go through shit. People react different ways. There's bad and good people in every race. That being said, I do not feel like the majority of white people would have their 16 year old daughter who's pregnant with twins just kind of run off and well I don't know maybe not I don't know whatever I'm not even going to speak to that but it just seemed like a weird situation that especially in the Cooper household did not feel authentic because for as headstrong and as bitchy and as demanding and as powerful as Alice is I just don't see her having Polly just go away. Like I just, I, and, and not go after her or keep tabs on her. Hell, you're a journalist for God's sakes. Like it's, it was weird. So, um, when Betty actually got the courage to tell her parents that Polly was gone, she went to Jughead first and was like, Hey, um, give me the number to your PO officer or your social worker or whatever. He's like, Oh yeah, here you go. As if that's how that works because I need to find my brother suspending belief, whatever the social workers like, yeah, once he became 18 and nobody adopted him. And then he went out on his own. And she was like, Oh, he was never adopted. I'm like, well, he was an adult. No. Well, what she said was after he left the sisters of quiet mercy, but I'm thinking, when would he have left? Like, isn't that an orphanage in itself? Like, why would he, I don't see why he would leave the sisters of quiet mercy until he was 18. If he was never adopted, like, why would they send him out? at like 12 on his own. It was weird. So, um, Betty's like, oh, the lady gave her the address and shit. And she talking to her parents about Polly. And they're like, yeah, Polly isn't coming back because we wrote her out of the show. But that's okay because now we'll look for your other child, which is like a slap in the face because you've teased that you have this other kid. And now, Betty, because Polly isn't around, now you want to go get him, which is like, I can't say better late than never to that because you knew this man existed. And yes, you were dealing with the black hood, whatever. But this is still your brother. Like, he's not a placeholder for Polly. And she's too goddamn trusted. You don't know this nigga. Just because he's your brother, y'all didn't grow up together. Oh, my God. Wait. Mm. When Betty and Alice went to this last chance motel to go and see him, which he had this, like, sheet and bed and camera set up like he was a sex worker, which... I think that's where they want us to lean to thinking, but then they're going to try to trick us and make it be something else because he works in quote-unquote fantasy fulfillment. But this man was like, um, he said something. He was like, yeah, I drove by your house a few times uh, when I got out. He was like, oh, you never came to the door? He was like, no, nah, bitch, why the fuck would I do that? He didn't say that, but <laughs> pretty much. But he said something to the effect of, to Betty, must have been nice growing up in a house like that. And that though it was just kind of like part of the conversation was like a heavy line. And I know I didn't say it verbatim, but it was something to that effect. And I was like, damn, he's right, Betty. Like you're privileged beyond measure. Like for even 
in your own race and even in your own family. Like you, for all the shit you're doing, all the shit that you're dealing with, you have so much privilege that just, oh my God, it's odd. But um, yeah, kudos to her, I guess. Uh, so they go back and he's like, my name's Chick or Chip or Chickity Chap some shit, whatever, so he sends them away, and Alice is in the car crying, and Betty hugs her, and there are these moments, and this was one of them, where I really buy into Betty and Alice's relationship, because although Betty is the daughter, it feels very much like Betty is Alice's younger sister, like, two different ways, like, either Alice had her, the situation where the grandmother passed off the daughter as if it was her baby and they grew up as sisters and then later on it comes out that that was her daughter like they have that dynamic of a relationship where they are mother and daughter but they at times feel like friends like sisters feel they don't feel it feels like their relationship is in a constant rotation of like a cycle and it just it cycles in and cycles out but seeing Alice crying at car I was like okay I feel this 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 feels like this is real um fast forward a little bit more throughout the series the show we get Betty going back to see her brother and finding the landlord or the owner uh kind of attacking her brother and she pulls out some pepper spray or some mace or whatever it's like you get off my brother and sprays the guy in the eye and I was thinking okay now, Betty, I get that. You know, you want to save your brother. But at the same time, looking at his living situation and looking at where you guys are, who's to say this isn't warranted? Like, your brother could have stole money. Your brother could have stole drugs. He could have sold bad drugs. He could have not paid his money. for Like, it doesn't make it okay that the homeboy is beating his ass. But I'm thinking, like, eh, try not to put yourself in that situation because you don't know. She could have been killed. All in all, she gets him back to the house and mom and dad helping him like bandage up and get in the bed. And he has this weird thing where he gets up out of bed late at night and goes into Betty's room and watches her sleep. And she's sleeping all weird, like rolling over every two seconds. Like it was weird. I don't know. It was odd. But he's like staring her in her face. And then he begins to walk out. And I guess she rolls over. And then makes a noise and he turns around and just stares at her in her face. And I'm thinking, honestly, I don't think the show knows what the hell they're doing with him. I feel like they're going to make him odd and make him weird and try to explain shit later and be like, oh, see, in episode this and episode that, he kind of did this. Like, I don't think they know what the hell they're doing. Um, And he seems very eccentric, eclectic or whatever. Uh, I'm just interested to see how a male, another male works in that household and then... (coughs) someone like him and when I say that I mean someone who's not the cookie cutter Riverdale student how he works in that household especially with a controlling parent like Alice and then with Hal who apparently don't want shit to do with him so it's it's all in all this was a pretty good episode um I don't know I guess my favorite character uh I don't know in this episode Cheryl, Cheryl and Reggie. I'll say those two. And then my favorite scene. Hmm. I like when Chick or Chip, whatever his name is, when he made Alice cry. That was pretty good. 
Uh, yeah, I'll go with that. Make that all cry. No. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, that'll be the end of Welcome to Riverdale. Y'all, let me know in the comments what you think. Who was your favorite character? What was your favorite scene? Did you even enjoy this episode? Do you think this was a strong episode coming back off of the mid-season finale? And, uh, you know, anything else you want to do, let's discuss it here. Use the hashtag WTRPod. Welcome to Riverdale. Um, hit me up on the Twitters, Carefree Blurred. Hit me up on the Instagrams, Carefree Black Nerd, and all that good stuff. Keep this conversation going. And until next time, uh, stay carefree, stay nerdy, and stay out of the Last Chance Motel, I guess. <laughs> all right.